We are talking about Way Truth Life for 2022, WTL422 as an abbreviation, if you see that. And we're concerned about our culture. And we're also concerned about our family and friends, aren't we? I mean, it seems like they're kind of going off on a way that is leading them to a lot of depression and discouragement and a lot of distractions in their life. And we sometimes feel uh, powerless to help them, but I want you to know you're not powerless. If you know Jesus and you can help them find Christ, he can lead them to the way that leads to truth and life and to the glory of the Father, as we talked about last week. The problem is that right now in our society, in our culture, uh, we have this thing called catastrophizing. I knew it was going to catastrophizing. Just read it, Mike. Catastrophizing that's going on. And that's where people are imagining the worst possible outcome of every action or event and saying, this is what's going to happen if you don't do what I tell you to do. It's like uh, the best example that I can think of are those who are telling us that in 10 years, that's right, 10 years, the United States of America, both coasts will be covered with water. So New York, California, uh, some of those places, they'll be covered with water because of this thing called climate change or global warming. You notice they don't say global warming as much anymore because it's cooling in some places and it's warming in others. But They've got to have some kind of catchy thing they can scare you with, so they are saying climate change. Did climate change from yesterday to today? Well, sure it did. Did it change from three weeks ago to just last week? Absolutely. It was like in the 50s, and then all of a sudden we're freezing our uh, heinies off because it's in, wind chills in the single digits, right? Climate change is just a way of life, and of course, they can say anything that they want to to catastrophize the, uh, the situation because they want you to do something right now to prevent what's going to happen in their prescribed future. So they imagine the worst possible outcome of an action or event, and they don't take into consideration that in the history of taking these measurements of climate change, the climate has gone up a few degrees, down a few degrees, up a few degrees, down a few degrees. We ignore that because there is a uh, pot of money at the end of research goal for some of these folks. Are things worse now or do we just perceive them as worse? I mean, when you really think about it, if you grew up in the Depression, some of you might remember the Depression where there were food lines, you couldn't get food. Now we complain because we can't get our brand of bread. Oh no, Walmart wheat bread is out. What am I going to do? I can't spend 25 cents more for this other brand of bread because all my kids will eat. You know, that's, that's our struggle right now. But some of you might be able to remember or you were taught history which told you about the food lines and the empty stores and the stuff like that that was going on in depression and we didn't have the modern media and comforts that we have right now. I mean, people were just miserable, but you have some who will tell you they grew up in the depression. They never realized that things were bad for them. What? 
because their parents taught them that God was going to watch over them. They were going to get through this just to have to be patient. But now we have this thing where everybody wants you to perceive the future as the worst that it can possibly be so that you will listen to them right now and do what they tell you to do or put your hope and your faith in them. And the result's always the same. Whether things are really worse right now or you're just perceiving them as worse right now, the end result is the same. It's hopelessness in our young people. <laughs> we think that all these things we talk about don't affect our children for Pete's sake. Everything we say, everything we do, when they see us strong, it makes them feel strong. When they see us weak and hopeless, it makes them feel weak and hopeless. It is one of those things that we pass on generationally and for pastors and therapists and those who deal with friends who have this kind of generational worshipness in their, their, uh, in their life, in their familial uh, pattern. We know that we can break that if we will just change what it is that we're hoping in. So today, we want to examine the Scripture's claim that Jesus is the way to this Hope, the way to the happiness that God has promised us, the way to this idea of being able to see the future before we get there. We're going to call that hindsight. All of that is part of God's glory for us as his children. Remember, all have sinned and fallen short of the, of the glory of God. And when we stop following Jesus, we stop being able to enjoy and entertain and embrace those ideas and the truth that helps us find hope in our world. And as we examine Jesus as the way today to God's glory, we need to remember that claim from John 14, 6, when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. We're going to talk about him being the way today. Next week, we're going to talk about the truth as we talk about true lies. And then uh, uh, on the 23rd, we're going to talk about how uh, the gratifying life that he offers to us is available to us. And then we're going to talk about the great exception on January 30. He says, "All no one comes to the Father except through me. That's the greatest exception that you're ever going to have to deal with. So we're going to look at those things together as we go through this month. Invite your family and friends to come be a part of that for us. But Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That means we don't come to his glory. We don't come into his presence. We don't come into his help. We don't come into his hope. The greatest blessing of this promise is that he is providing hope for us. He provides healing for us. He provides help for us. And if we follow Jesus, we have that healing and hope and help as part of the glory that is ours. As a matter of fact, Colossians 1.27 reminds us, To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of his, this mystery, which is, this is the mystery, Christ in you, which is the hope of glory. You want God's glory? You want to 
you want to hit his mark instead of miss it in your life, then you must have Christ in you. You must follow Jesus in your life, and there's no other way to get to God's glory except for through Jesus. We are not creative enough. We're not smart enough. We're not brilliant enough. We're not insightful enough without Jesus to do anything that gets us close. And we'll discover that more and more culturally and personally if we continue to not follow Jesus in our lives. As long as Christ is in us and we're following him, we maintain the hope of reaching the glorious goal of our creator. And you know God has hopes for you. We talked about that last year again. He has hopes to prosper you, to give you hope in a future. He loves us. And he gives us Jesus so that he can direct us in the right path, the right way. But Paul warns us that if we live in the realm of the flesh in which we choose to live without Christ, it's going to be a different story for us. Romans chapter 8, 8 through 9 says, Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God lives you in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. You can't get around this fact. This is a principle of life. You're either going to live for the flesh, you're going to live for the spirit. You live for the flesh, you're not going to please God. And he cannot please you. It's impossible. But if you live according to the spirit, if the spirit of God lives in you and Christ lives in you, you belong to Jesus, you're following him, then you're living in that realm of the spirit in where you are enjoying the glory of God in your life. Now, those who choose to live in the realm of the flesh without the Spirit of Christ will always catastrophize their circumstances. And that drains us of our hope. It denies us of the help that God wants to give to us. And we can't even think about Him offering healing to us through anything. And all of this exacerbates what they perceive as way worse. And it entices them with pleasures that lead them way off course. And then emaciates them so that they have way less of the hope and peace and joy and love that God has in store for them. And if it's all right with you this morning, we're going to dig into these things together as we explore the incredible promises that God gives to us if we follow Jesus. It's really a question of heuristics or holiness. Heuristics or holiness. Now, heuristics is one of those words that you may be familiar with it if... Uh, uh, you read a lot, or um, if, especially as politics have been discussed here recently. But heuristics is really, simply put, a shortcut that we take uh, mentally and intellectually to make decisions. And we make those decisions based upon a couple different things. Maybe the influence of a, um, a political persuasion that we might have. It may be based upon how we're feeling in the moment. You know, it's like. Uh, when I did this last time, it made me feel better. So I won't examine whether or not this might feel me, make me feel better or the, the nuances of it. I'll just do it, and, and it will make me feel better because it made me feel better last time. And then when you do it, it doesn't make you feel better, and then you go, what's the deal, right? That's the problem with heuristics is it doesn't always uh, have the absolute nature of holiness. Now, heuristics, we're making decisions, taking shortcuts, based upon a lot of different things, influences of others, our own feelings, uh, the circumstances of the moment. But holiness is different. 
Holiness is when we make our decisions based upon the principle that God is the creator of the universe and that he's given us his son, Jesus Christ, to follow. A few years ago, some of you remember the uh, What Would Jesus Do movement, the WWJD movement, What Would Jesus Do? And so the idea was simple, that if you're, you have a decision to make, you think, well, what would Jesus do in this situation? And then you would do that. But then a lot of people today, if you ask them what would Jesus do, they'd go, well, who's Jesus? And that's the problem with that kind of thing. But when we think about holiness, it means to be set apart. The Bible says, be holy as I am holy. God wants us to be holy as he is. That means we're set apart for doing what is right, what is principle, what is truth. And when Jesus says that I'm the way, he is guiding us in that in a holy way. We are set apart to do what God calls us to do. And instead of considering all the different dynamics in our decision-making process, our first thought is, what has God taught us about this? Should I lie? Heuristics might say, well, it might be a noble lie. God says, thou shalt not lie. But don't bear falsehood. Should I cheat? Should I commit adultery? Should I be mean to my mom and dad? Should I uh, take God's name in vain? All those things are pretty hard set in Scripture as you don't do those kinds of things. But heuristics might say, well, it depends on the situation or who you are around. And we take those kinds of shortcuts that causes problems. So we're going to look in depth uh, at some of these ideas of heuristics as opposed to holiness as we talk about Jesus being the way today. And let's start by talking about Jesus is the way to hindsight. Now, so you can know where we're going, we're going to talk about Jesus is the way to hindsight. We're going to talk about Jesus as the way to happiness. And then we'll talk about Jesus is the way to hope. And we're going to talk about his promise involving all of those things. So let's talk first about Jesus is the way to hindsight. What do I mean by Jesus is the way to hindsight? Well, the matter of the fact is that Jesus has already been there. He's done that. He has all the t-shirts that you could imagine. And so when he says, follow me, it's an opportunity for us to follow him, trusting that he's already been there and he knows what is best for us. He gives us the foresight of his hindsight. Now, we take advantage of that all the time when we're dealing with someone who has experience in a certain area, right? So whenever you want to learn how to play something, like if you want to go, want to learn how to play the piano, uh, you can go online if you want to. But back in the old day, you'd find someone who was a piano teacher, and they would teach you how to play piano. If you want to work on a motor or engine, you'd find someone that did that or a computer or whatever the case might be. We do that all the time where we look for someone who knows how to do it and they give us the foresight of their hindsight, of their wisdom. God does that for us all the time through Jesus as the way. Jesus is the way to hindsight. Now, any other way exacerbates what we perceive as way worse. When you're not following Jesus then people will tell you what you have to look forward to is the worst thing in the, in the world unless we do what they tell us to do in the moment. The problem is that the current path of those who live without Christ is just what we're going to call sensational fatalism right now. Everything is fallen apart, and they sensationalize it like nobody's business. And you can imagine, you can watch uh, news programs or you can... Uh, watch uh, or listen to your favorite podcast or whatever the case might be. And there's always some kind of sensational fatalism that's a part of it. The world's falling apart if we don't. 
The world's falling apart if we don't. The United States of America, it's going to fall apart if we don't. You just fill in the blank, if we don't, what? And whatever your experience is in that, it takes out the whole part of us being one nation under God, blessed by him. Why is that? Because there are those who have a vested interest in de-godding this society in which we live. And the only way that they can do that is to get your eyes off Jesus who says, Hey, don't worry. Trust in me. We're going to talk about that in just a second. But when we allow others to catastrophize with what we're going to call political vitriol, they're constantly in our ears telling us how things are going to be so much worse under someone else or if we listen to someone else. And we call that representative heuristics, where politicians compare present situations with representative prototypes that they use. And one perfect example of that is what we'll call identity politics. You know, where people are always saying, you are this, so I don't have to listen to you. Uh, This past week's been full of a lot of political vitriol with the anniversary of 1-6. I don't know if you're aware, but 1-6 should be equated with uh, Pearl Harbor and 9-11. And most people go, what happened on 1-6 again? Well, you'll remember that on January the 6th, 2021, a group of people who got all worked up, uh, they were at a rally in Washington, they went into the Capitol building and they took pictures of themselves and I think there were some other horrible things that were talked about, but the fact is they broke the law, they went in, did something stupid, and they were all cleared up. Many of them are arrested now. They're going to be tried for the things that they're doing. And uh, everything's back in business, of course. The Capitol was just a few days after that. But those who experienced, especially on one political side, they say it was the worst day in the history of the United States of America. Why? Because it was attached to the opposite political party. And you all know, we're all adults here. We know what we're talking about here. But the problem with all of that kind of hysteria, the the heuristics of it where you're using identity politics where all this group is bad and we are all good. And if you do anything with these bad people, and and the whole point of trying to vilify those of 1-6 is to make a whole political party seem bad, disconnected, uh, supremacist in some ways. And it's used by the other party to try to embarrass and saying, see, you can't talk. You can't have a voice. Because of what these weird people did on January the 6th, 2021. While they ignore many of the other things that happened in 2020 and 2021, the riots and some of the other things that took place. But see, that's the world for you. They want to create a sensational sense of fatalism so they can get you to vote for them because they promise you they're going to fix it. They have the solutions. They have the way that you need to follow. Unfortunately, they don't choose to learn from the hindsight of others. And they surely do not care about the foresight of the hindsight that Jesus gives us. Matthew chapter 6, verse 31 through 34 gives this beautiful explanation of life. Says, why, uh, so do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. 
But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Jesus tells us his hindsight that he gives us that allows us to have foresight into the future is, don't worry. Don't worry. If you seek first God, follow his way in your life, and you seek to do things the right way, then he's going to bless you with everything that you need. And on top of that, you don't have to worry about it at all. So if we follow Jesus as the way to the Father's glory, he will give us the foresight of his hindsight so that worry is no longer our problem. We don't even have to have it on our radar. Even if people all around us are worried about this, that, and the other thing. For you, personally, you must believe that if you seek first the kingdom of God, He's going to work out everything, even cultural stuff. He'll work that out for you and your family. But this requires from us sacred dedication. When we say we know he wants us to be holy, that's what it means to be sacred, set apart. I'm going to dedicate myself to following Jesus. What would Jesus have me do? That's what I will do. Because the fact of the matter is that Jesus is the only one who can really bring us any kind of happiness in this world. Because Jesus is the way to happiness. He's the hindsight but he's also the way to happiness. Any other way that we might go, apart from Jesus, will entice us with pleasures that always lead us way off course. Jesus says, if you follow me, you will follow me into goodness, into grace. You'll follow me into blessing. But if we follow any other way, we'll be enticed by the pleasures of this world that simply are designed to lead us way off the course that God has for us. The current path of those who live without Christ is what we're going to call today sensual flogism. Sensual flogism. And I'm going to use the old English idea of flogism, which means to, to sell, to pitch, like you were in a market. They would use that terminology. It's come to mean something a little differently in uh, the way that we think of it in terms of how we're beat up by something, being flogged with a, with a whip or something like that. And there's some application of that, but I like the English kind of idea of what we're dealing here with this because with sensuality, we are being sold a bill of goods that really don't make us happy at all. But because it's right there in front of us, I mean, constantly. We think, well, it can't hurt to just peek. It can't hurt to just look. It can't hurt to just buy. It can't hurt for us to just follow. This current path of sensual flogism is destroying our culture right now because it allows others to catastrophize life with instant ideas of personal gratification. Now, Jesus teaches us that gratification is found in the long run of life where we're obedient and we're patient and we trust God and then God works all things together for our good. But we get impatient with that process. We decide that we want to speed it up and so we're going to take shortcuts through pleasure 
And we have plenty of people around who says, you know, try this, try that. It made me feel better. And then it ends up destroying everything around us. We call this affect heuristics. We're making choices that are influenced by the emotions that an individual is experiencing at the moment, which is I need or I want. And there's always some person that is going to make money off your desire for pleasure because in the moment you're so miserable because you're not following Jesus. It's a vicious cycle, ugly cycle. And as those people make money, they think, hey, this is great, so I'm going to make even more money. And then they start taking the money that you're giving to them while you're indulging in sensual pleasures, and they increase their level of sensual pleasures until they're completely burned out or they're all, you know, uh, 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 dying. And I think of, you know, any interview that we have with those 70s or early 80s rockers, you know, they just indulge in every sensual pleasure you can think of back in those days. And they could afford it because there were people like you and me out in the audience going, ah, you're the greatest ever. And, you know, we sing their songs and all those different things. But they're all dying from all kinds of horrible things, cancers and other things because of the abuse of their bodies. It's not good for anyone. But when we're making those choices because of what we can experience in the moment, it just makes us feel good in this second, even though we know it's going to make us miserable in 20 minutes because we'll have regret and shame and guilt. We do it because there's always someone there profiting, flogging us with sensuality. I think about the struggle that we have with the internet these days and young people and as the Reports come out that younger and younger children are learning more about uh, adult types of things on the Internet. Uh, there are now famous people who are coming out and confirming that. I think I mentioned Billie Eilish a few weeks ago. Maybe that was just in my mind or conversation I had with Elizabeth. But she's a famous uh, singer. She uh, does very well. Her and her brother, Finn. And she admitted on a program here not lately, uh, not too long ago, that Pornography has just ruined her life because she started looking at it at a very, very young age. And she began to think that's what love looks like. And then every relationship she's been in since has taken advantage of her or abused her or she's abused the situation because of that definition of her mind. And all of that was done because someone was on the other end profiting off of the, this desire for sensual pleasure these passions. And she's admitted that it's probably destroyed any hope that she has of having a good relationship uh, in marriage or in a family. She started watching pornography when she was as young as 11 years old, she said. We sometimes think that Ah, it's no big deal. You know, kids are kids. They're curious. They're going to investigate these things, and that's true. But when we make it so easy with, for them by putting little devices in their hands, they can access every ungodly and immoral image on the face of the planet that they can access without our even knowing it. At some point, we're going to have to hold ourselves responsible because all that takes away from us the happiness of life that God provides for us through family and our faith. 
And God said, or Jesus said, he makes this happiness promise in Matthew 5, 6. He said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. When we hunger and thirst for righteousness, we will be filled. We'll find happiness. We'll find joy. We'll find laughter in our relationships. If we follow Jesus as the way to the Father's glory, he will give us the fulfillment through righteousness, which leads to true happiness. But this requires for us to be involved with spiritual disciplines. As we need to have sacred dedication, we also have to have spiritual discipline in our life where we say no to ungodliness and yes to righteousness. This is that simple. And we help our children and our grandchildren recognize the difference between righteousness and unrighteousness and say nope to unrighteousness and yes to righteousness and godliness. We can't just throw them out there and say, well, whatever you feel like, because if you do it based upon their emotion, again, we're throwing in them into the affect heuristics where there's always going to be someone who will profit, who will flog them in order to make money off their desire for pleasure. And if, that, if you don't believe that's true, then just let's talk about where you're going for lunch today, okay? This leads us to the, the final one here of Jesus is the way to hope. He's the way to hindsight. We need him to have that foresight. We need him to give us the happiness. It's only through him when we hunger and thirst after righteousness. But he's also the way to hope. Because any other way besides Jesus, it emaciates us so that our peace, hope, and love are always way less. If you're not following Jesus, then Satan is taking from you every bit of energy you have through sin. He exhausts you through sin. He exhausts you through the drama that comes from the sin that's in your life and in the sin of others. He can just completely wear you out when you're not following the way. It emaciates our soul. It emaciates our patience so that we have way less hope, love, peace, joy. And the current path of those who live without Christ is what we're going to describe today as senseless fanaticism. Senseless fanaticism. With the world, it will offer you an opportunity to be a fanatic of something else besides Jesus but it makes no sense. You might watch a football game this afternoon where they're playing in the cold, and there will always be someone in the stand where it's five degrees below zero and they're not wearing any shirt. Not just one, but there's three or four of them. That's senseless fanaticism, right? I mean, it's okay to have, be a fan. I'm not against sport. I'm not against any of them. Don't, don't get me wrong. But when that becomes our life, when that becomes our color, when that becomes our identity, when that's what we are in life, then it's senseless. It makes no sense whatsoever. Because what do they do for us other than entertain us or make us feel better about where we're from or those different kinds of things? But those don't last this senseless fanaticism allows others to catastrophize our life with all kinds of psychological distractions so that we don't realize as we're sitting there in the quiet of the day how miserable we really are. But we get there. We just might be distracted from it for a while. And when we're distracted, it always costs us money somehow. 
right? It always digs that hole a little deeper. This is called availability heuristics. It's where we make decisions, the shortcuts to decisions based upon how easy, how easy it is to bring something to mind, you know? How easy is it for you to make a friend? You know, you can walk down, I'll use Bingles as an example here, but you can walk around and if you see another Bingles fan, you'll go, go Bingles, you know, and every, all of a sudden you're the best of friends. And I know that's rare around here, but we'll use that. But I can be walking around. You know I'm from Oklahoma, so I wear OU stuff around, and I'll be anywhere. We were in Columbus Zoo one day, and someone came up and said, Boomer. And I just looked at him and said, Sooner. And we were best friends for the rest of life. <laughs> Two words. I mean, that's senseless fanaticism, right? But it was available. We had this connection. Unfortunately, too often it comes through immoral productions, and uh, we are... Um, we are confused because the, the, the content level or the, the, the professionalism of the content level that we're seeing is just so exciting to us. And we just get brought into it. It's not just true with sports, but it's also true with television, movies. A lot of our kids, they may, not, they may be a sports fan, but... Uh, more, more likely they are a fan of a Disney princess or, you know, something like that. Or a musician or a movie star that they see. And where they see them? Well, we have these streaming services that are connected to every device that we have now. And our kids, they have this choice. You can put them on uh, Kids YouTube if you want. Uh, you can put, you know, put the buffer in the, the Netflix thing or it's kids only or... You can block every channel except for the kids' channels. And still, somehow, there'll be something brought in. They'll become a fan of someone. And then as that someone gets older and that older person just goes off into immorality, they're thinking, man, that looks cool. These immoral productions are so prevalent in our culture that people demand them. And they're in every form of service that we have. And the interesting thing is you remember the olden days when uh, broadcast companies, they had to provide the infrastructure for the broadcast. You know, they got the television stations. They beam it to your house for free, but then you had to endure the commercials and stuff like that. And then you had cable. You had to pay for the instruction of the cable or satellite TV. Now they just piggyback off of the Internet, and if you have good Internet, then they can stream these things right into your home, and you're going, wow, this is incredible. This is a great story. This is, this is just this is wonderful. And we don't take into consideration how that senseless fanaticism is just a distraction from the misery in our own life. The fact of the matter is, is that Jesus is really our, own, our only hope. He makes this hope of promise to us uh, in John 4, 13 through 14, where he says, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. This is the story of the woman at the well, of course. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Here he makes this contrast, this comparison between what the world offers us and what he gives us. If we drink of the world's water, we'll thirst again. But if we drink of his water, we will never thirst. It will be a wellspring of eternal life in us. So if we follow Jesus as the way to the Father's glory, he will give us an eternal fountain of living hope and peace and joy and love. We call these things soulful delights. 
the blessings of God that just soothe our soul and minister to us. And in those days that we're down and we're discouraged and things seem like they're falling apart around us, we have hope, an incomparable hope. And we have a peace that passes all understanding. And we have a love that cannot be denied. And all of that is part of Jesus' wellspring of eternal life that is ours when we follow him. And you do see now, the world, it likes to follow its own way. And when it does, it's going to use heuristics to, to determine the shortcuts to the things that they want, but it always leads to a disconnection from God. It leads to sin. It misses the mark. Jesus is the exclusive way to sharing in God's glory. So any other way will always be way worse, way off course, and way less satisfying. And the promise John uh, reveals to us in John 8, 12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world and whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life is the practical application of Christ in us, the hope of glory. Follow him and you'll never walk in darkness. You will have the light of life that will guide you. The problem are those we know are wandering aimlessly on the broad path without Jesus helping them in this world. Remember Matthew 7, 13. Enter through the narrow gate for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it, but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. You may be one of the few that's finding that way to life. But you know many, many more who are on that broad road that's leading to destruction. And the simple substantive choice we must make is either let them continue on that path of destruction or talk to them about the hindsight and happiness and hope that Jesus provides to us if we follow him. People are getting tired of the lies. They're getting tired of the path that they're on. Young people are rejecting it wholesale in many ways because they realize that their parents and uh, those that are older than them are just walking off into every form of destructive behavior in their life. Now's the time for us to remind people that Jesus is the way, the Father's glory. Now we can do that easily or we can do that more difficult, difficultly. The easy way for us is to just follow Jesus in our own life and encourage Jesus to follow with us or encourage them to follow Jesus, follow with us as we follow Jesus. The more difficult thing is for us just to ignore it and hope everything works out okay for them. The problem with us ignoring them and hoping everything works out for them is that their drama and all the bad stuff from their decisions will eventually come back around and surround us in our life. And even though we might have peace and love and we might enjoy uh, God's blessing because of righteousness, it's still going to have its impact on us. So help people find the way. Help them find the way to Jesus because he is the way to the light of life. Let's pray. 
Father, we're so grateful today for this opportunity to study your word, to dig in it, and to explore this idea of Jesus as the way, the way to your glory. And Father, I'm so thankful for those who are gathered here today, but I'm mindful of those who aren't. I'm mindful of those who may be just uh, not feeling well and so they can't be here today and I pray that you heal them so they can be back with this and there are those who are part of our family and they've been caught up in a new schedule of distractions and things that are not good for them they might seem like it keeps them busy but it's not leading them to satisfaction in their life and I pray that you would use us to reach out to them to encourage them and there are those in our family that are just lost They've chosen the way that leads to destruction. So help us to have the compassion, Lord, just to say to them and remind them, hey, 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 Jesus is the way. He's the way. I'm following Jesus. Let's follow Jesus together and let him bring hope and happiness and the blessing of his hindsight into our lives so that we can have his healing and his help when we need it. Lord, bless us to this end, I pray in the precious name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Let all God's people say.